Section 18 of the Underground Railroad, Part 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Dore. The Underground Railroad, Part 4, by William Still. Section 18. Arrival from Maryland, 1859. Anne Maria Jackson and her seven children, Mary Ann, William Henry, Francis Sabrina, Wilhelmina, John Edwin, Ebenezer Thomas, and William Albert. The coming of the above-named was duly announced by Thomas Garrett. Wilmington, 11th month, 21st, 1858. Dear friends, McKim and Still, I write to inform you that on the 16th of this month we passed on four able-bodied men to Pennsylvania, and they were followed last night by a woman and her six children, from three or four years of age up to sixteen years. I believe the whole belonged to the same estate, and they were to have been sold at public sale. I was informed yesterday, but preferred seeking their own master. We had some trouble in getting those last safe along, as they could not travel far on foot, and could not safely cross any of the bridges on the canal either on foot or in carriage a man left here two days since with carriage to meet them this side of the canal but owing to spies they did not reach him till ten o'clock last night this morning he returned having seen them about one or two o'clock this morning in a second carriage on the border of chester county where i think they are all safe if they can be kept from philadelphia if you see them they can tell their own tales as i have seen one of them may he who feeds the ravens care for them yours thomas garrett the fire of freedom obviously burned with no ordinary fervor in the breast of this slave mother or she never would have ventured with the burden of seven children to escape from the hell of slavery Anne maria was about forty years of age good-looking pleasant countenance and of a chestnut color height medium and intellect above the average her bearing was humble as might have been expected from the fact that she emerged from the lowest depths of Delaware slavery. During the fall prior to her escape, she lost her husband under most trying circumstances. He died in the poorhouse, a raving maniac. Two of his children had been taken from their mother by her owner, as was usual with slaveholders, which preyed so severely on the poor father's mind that it drove him into a state of hopeless insanity. He was a free man in the eye of Delaware laws, yet he was not allowed to exercise the least authority over his children. Prior to the time that the two children were taken from their mother, she had been allowed to live with her husband and children independently of her master, by supporting herself and them with the whitewash brush, wash-tub, etc. For this privilege the mother doubtless worked with double energy, and the master, in all probability, was largely the gainer, as the children were no expense to him in their infancy but when they began to be old enough to hire out or bring high prices in the market, he snatched away two of the finest articles, and the powerless father was immediately rendered a fit subject for the madhouse. But the brave-hearted mother looked up to God, resolved to wait patiently until in a good providence the way might open to escape with her remaining children to Canada. Year in and year out she had suffered to provide food and raiment for her little ones. Many times in going out to do day's work she would be compelled to leave her children, not knowing whether during her absence they would fall victims to fire or be carried off by the master. But she possessed a well-tried faith which in her flight kept her from despondency. 
under her former lot she scarcely murmured but declared that she had never been at ease in slavery a day after the birth of her first-born the desire to go to some part of the world where she could have the control and comfort of her children had always been a prevailing idea with her it almost broke my heart she said when he came and took my children away as soon as they were big enough to hand me a drink of water my husband was always very kind to me and i had often wanted him to run away with me and the children but i could not get him in the notion he did not feel that he could and so he stayed and died broken-hearted crazy i was owned by a man named joseph brown he owned property in milford and he had a place in vicksburg and some of his time he spends there and some of the time he lives in milford this fall he said he was going to take four of my oldest children and two other servants to vicksburg i just happened to hear of this news in time my master was wanting to keep me in the dark about taking them for fear that something might happen my master is very sly he is a tall slim man with a smooth face bald head light hair long and sharp nose swears very hard and drinks he is a widower and is rich on the road the poor mother with her travel-worn children became desperately alarmed fearing that they were betrayed but god had provided better things for her her strength and hope were soon fully restored and she was lucky enough to fall into the right hands it was a special pleasure to aid such a mother her arrival in canada was announced by rev h wilson as follows niagara city november thirtieth eighteen fifty eight dear brother still i am happy to inform you that mrs jackson and her interesting family of seven children arrived safe and in good health and spirits at my house in st catharines on saturday evening last with sincere pleasure i provided for them comfort quarters till this morning when they left for toronto i got them conveyed there at half fare and gave them letters of introduction to thomas henning esq and mrs dr willis trusting that they will be better cared for in toronto than they could be at st catharines we have so many coming to us we think it best for some of them to pass on to other places my wife gave them all a good supply of clothing before they left us james henry an older son is i think not far from st catherine but has not as yet reunited with the family faithfully and truly yours hiram wilson sundry arrivals from virginia maryland and delaware lewis lee enoch davis john brown thomas edward dixon and william oliver slavery brought about many radical changes some in one way and some in another lewis lee was entirely too white for practical purposes they tried to get him to content himself under the yoke but he could not see the point a man by the name of william watkins living near fairfax virginia claimed lewis having come by his title through marriage title or no title lewis thought that he would not serve him for nothing and that he had been hoodwinked already a great while longer than he should have allowed himself to be watkins had managed to keep him in the dark and doing hard work on the no-pay system up to the age of twenty-five in lewis's opinion it was now time to strike out on his own hook he took his last look of watkins he was a tall slim fellow a farmer and a hard drinker and made the first step in the direction of the north he was sure that he was about as white as anybody else and that he had as good a right to pass for white as the white folks so he decided to do so with a high head and a fearless front instead of skulking in the woods in thickets and swamps under cover of the darkness he would boldly approach a hotel and call for accommodations as any other southern gentleman he had a little money and he soon discovered that his color was perfectly orthodox 
he said that he was treated first-rate in washington and baltimore he could recommend both of these cities but destitute of education and coming among strangers he was conscious that the shreds of slavery were still to be seen upon him he had moreover no intention of disowning his origin once he could feel safe in assuming his true status so as he was in need of friends and material aid he sought out the vigilance committee and on close examination they had every reason to believe his story throughout and gave him the usual benefit enoch davis came from within five miles of baltimore having been held by one james armstrong an old gray-headed man and a farmer living on huckstone road judged from davis's standpoint the old master could never be recommended unless someone wanted a very hard place and a severe master upon inquiry it was ascertained that enoch was moved to leave on account of the riot john brown's harper's ferry raid which he feared would result in the sale of a good many slaves himself among the number he therefore laid down the shovel and the hoe and quit the place john brown this was an adopted name the original one not being preserved left to get rid of his connection with thomas stevens a grocer living in baltimore john however did not live in the city with said stevens but on the farm near frederick's mills montgomery county maryland this place was known by the name of Whitehall Farm, and was under the supervision of James Edward Stevens, a son of the above-named Stevens. John's reasons for leaving were not noted on the book, but his eagerness to reach Canada spoke louder than words, signifying that the greater the distance that separated him from the old Whitehall Farm, the better. Thomas Edward Dixon arrived from near the trap in Delaware. He was only about eighteen years of age, but as tall as a man of ordinary height, dark with a pleasant countenance he reported that he had had trouble with a man known by the name of thomas w m mccracken who had treated him bad as thomas thought that such trouble and bad treatment might be of frequent occurrence he concluded that he had better go away and let mccracken get somebody else to fill his place if he did not choose to fill it himself so off thomas started and as if by instinct he came direct to the committee he passed a good examination and was aided william oliver a dark well-made young man with the best of country manners fled from mrs marshall a lady living in prince george's county maryland william had recently been in the habit of hiring his time at the rate of ten dollars per month and find himself everything the privilege of living in georgetown had been vouchsafed him and he preferred this locality to his country situation upon the whole he said he had been treated pretty well he was nevertheless afraid that times were growing very critical and as he had a pretty good chance he thought he had better make use of it and his arrangements were wisely made he had reached his twenty-sixth year and was apparently well settled he left one child jane oliver owned by mrs marshall end of section eighteen